Somebody help me say thank you to this worship team. Feliz Navidad. All right. Good job, everybody. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of John chapter 1. We are continuing in this series called Emmanuel, a celebration of the incarnation. All right. Four of you like that. Now listen, friends, by the, listen, we've got, there's an international people watching us on camera, so you've got to act like you're more excited. It's celebration of the incarnation. Oh, wow. See, now everybody all across the world is going to be, wow, that church is so excited about the Bible. I'm going to go there. Emmanuel means God with us. Because God became man in our Lord Jesus Christ. God came near. Why don't you say that out loud with me? God came near. John chapter 1, verse 1, and then verse, just verse 14 today. Just those two verses to catch us up with on our path here today. John, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Boy, I'm real happy with folks that are, if you like... Yeah, is that the what we're doing now? We're going to read it out loud with me because they've proven to me that you got it memorized. That's good. Some of you are going to have trouble if we ever do you know, the NIV and King James stuff. You'll get it like, what's going on? Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled among us and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. God came near. Now, what significance does that hold for us? Oh boy, is that significant. Oh boy, could we talk at length? Could we write at length about the significance of that? But for these three weekends and then Christmas weekend, we're affirming this, that God, because God came near, there's at least three things that we can know. Number one, last week, we can know that we are fully loved by God. Not just really love, and I'm sure we really love. It's not that he just loves us a lot, but he, but, but he loves us fully. He loves us completely from stem to, stem to stern, top to bottom. Everything that makes you, you, he entered into in the, in the incarnation, and he redeemed, and he sanctified, and he affirmed. He entered into every stage of human life and, and re-stamped it, reaffirmed it, that you are made in the image of God. Yes. You are fully loved. Secondly, if that is true, that be, then because God came near, we can and should fully love God. Yes. Yes. And by extension, logical extension, because God came near, we can and should fully love one another. Yes. Now we'll get to the third one next week. But this week, let's talk about this. Because God came near, we can and should love God, fully love God. Again, because there is no part of me that because of the incarnation, there is no part of me that Christ has not entered into and redeemed. And therefore, with every part of me, I offer him back. I offer back unto him in wholehearted, robust, fervent devotion and worship. 
I love God fully. I love God totally, wholly, and fervently. Jesus exemplifies this for us. Jesus is our example in this. 1 Peter 1, pardon me, 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Somebody say example. An example that you should follow in his steps. John 13, verses 15 through 17, Jesus' own words, hear them. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. We must not isolate Jesus' life. Rather, we must imitate it. He's the matchless son of God. He's the one and only, the only begotten, no one like him. I can keep going until you start getting your praise on. There's no one like him. He's the matchless, majestic, miraculous son of God. And he shall reign forever and ever. He alone is king of kings and lord of lords. He alone is the name above all names. We adore him. We honor him. We reverence him. We All of those things. But, but we do not isolate him. We imitate him. Nothing about the incarnation isolates us from God. Rather, he came near so that we might. Jesus did not appear out of the middle of nowhere as a, as, a, as, a, as a figure for us just to admire. He did not come onto the scene and say, admire me. And we, we, may, we may admire him, but if we stand aloof and simply admire him, we are left as we are. We are unchanged. But he didn't come to and say, admire me. He came and said, follow me. Be like me. He didn't come to leave me as I am, but to make me never the same. To transform my life. To make me like him. Consider then, if we are to imitate Jesus, follow him. Consider what he said, his own statements about his devotion to God. John 4, 34. My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 5, 30. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. John 6, 38. I have come down from heaven. Not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. In today's vernacular, that might sound like this. Listen, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm a pretty big deal. <laughs> I can't, can it, it doesn't get, you, there's no bigger flex than, by the way, I came from heaven. I mean, that's what I asked about my wife, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I know, I just, the humor comes. But I came from heaven. That's a big deal. I came from heaven. But by the way, I came from heaven not to do my will, but, but the will of him who sent me. John 8, 29. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Here, again, paraphrastically, what Jesus is saying. He said, my greatest source of nourishment, 
My greatest satisfaction is doing God's will. I don't seek to please myself, but God. I'm not here for my will, but for his, and I never stop doing what pleases him. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus did was out of devotion to God. It always looked like service. It often looked like sacrifice. It never looked like selfish ambition or strife or self-promotion or competition or comparison. It was never for applause or approval, but always from devotion. And so it should be for you and me. Jesus exemplifies this for us and he expects it from us. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Verse 23 and 24, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Hear this in verse 24. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. 1 John 5, 3. John says it again. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. Only the obedient love God. Only the obedient love him. And yet, our love for God, it's not perfunctory. Our love for God is not merely unfeeling action. It is conduct. It is conduct that is fueled by fervent devotion. We love him with every portion of our lives that he has entered into and redeemed. Consider the Psalms, just what we read this morning. I will thank you, Lord, with all of my heart. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. You've got to say it that way. And all that is within me, bless his soul. All that is within every fiber, every cell, every chemical, everything in me, let it be all offered unto him in fervent adoration and praise. The Lord's prayer doesn't begin with, well, now take care of the bread that we need and make sure that we get forgiven and, and all the other, uh, whatever else we got. No, the Lord's prayer begins with Father. Father, let your name be hallowed and holy. It begins with fervent devotion and honor.
to love him is to obey him. But when Jesus was asked then, well, okay, then what, are your, what, what does it mean to obey? What is, Jesus, what is the, the greatest commandment in the law? What's it? Let's boil it down for me, Jesus. Bring it down. Make it real simple for me. Jesus, what, what's, okay, what's the deal? What do you want us to do? Jesus replied, Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Would you say first and greatest? You know what comes before first? You know what comes more than greatest? First and greatest. Now, verse 39, and the second one is like it, love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. We will get to the second is like unto the first, like next week. But you cannot skirt the first and just go to the second. We only get the second commandment right when we put the first one first. If you put, to, to, to skirt the first and emphasize the second will pervert our love for humanity. It will corrupt our love for humanity. We will love them further into their own demise, into their own imprisonment, into their own bondage and perversion. But to love them well, to love them right, to love them whole, yeah. to love them purely and mostly and without, without agenda yeah. is to love him first. Yes. We've got to get the first one right if we're going to get anything else right. And here again is the first commandment. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, the great Shema. Here he is, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Alleluia. Verse 5. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is not meant to divide or to, to, to dissect humanity, but to capture the idea that we are to, that all of your heart is to be energized Godward. All of your soul Godward. All of your strength Godward. All of your devotion. All of your affection all of your energy, all of your feeling and strength, all of your grit, all of your attitude, all of your action. Love him. Every ounce of your life has worship. Loving God fully. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's so important to get it first. We got to get it first or we won't get anything else right. Just as you and I each are fully loved by God, we are bound together. We are bonded together by our love for him. When we get the first one right, we start getting this right. If we get the first one wrong, we never get this right. I... I can think of how many different examples and instances uh, there are that people have come together that have next to nothing in common. 
People have come together, and even they, they, even, they even may have odds with one another, but they come together over a common cause. They come together over a shared concern. They come together over a single commitment. I have even heard of in-laws getting along over grandchildren. And there is no greater common cause, no greater shared concern, no greater single commitment than our love for the Lord Jesus. It is what binds us together. It is what binds us together. Before our, listen, before our love for each other, we'll get that wrong. We don't get this right. Before our love for each other, it is our love for the Lord Jesus. Young and old, rich and poor, dark and pale, educated and sophisticated, polished and plain, we are bound together permanently and powerfully by our love for him. And it's only as Christ is the center of our devotion that we really can be, that we can call ourselves and be his church. Now, I'm, I'm, I, I told 8.30 service I was going to start lying, but I just don't have it in me. <laughs> Catherine Coleman, she fibbed a little bit about her age, so I figured I could get away with it, but I'm not trying to roll her under the bus. Don't get mad. Don't send me something. She did fib. It's okay. I, thought I was going to start telling you that I was 33, but I don't think you believe it. <laughs> apparently not apparently it would not fly <laughs> well hello Dilo um, uh, uh, <laughs> alright so I'm 53 that means I've been in church for 54 years yeah I'll go ahead and say that's good I'm not looking for applause but fine but what I mean is I've observed a couple of things and I'm, it is our flawed failed fractured devotion to him that weakens and divides and disrupts the church. It is love of self, love for self, love of position or power or preference. <laughs> or per I know it makes us nauseated to hear it, but it's true. Love of position, power, my preference, my, how I'm being perceived. All of that is the great disruptor, the quiet poison, and the dangerous tumor that wreaks havoc in the church. But it is love for Christ. Love for Christ that is the, the singular compass. It is the great corrector. Love for Christ is the great corrector of our hearts and our lives. In John chapter 21, Peter's on the boat. He has, he has denied Christ to a little junior high girl. I don't know him. Called down curses on himself. I mean, doggone it, he said. I mean, doggone it. I don't know him. Everyone gasped because he said, doggone. That's what she said last week. She said, doggone. From the pulpit, she said that. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm going back over here. I don't need any help. D'Lo is not helping me out. All right. Uh, yeah, I know. Jesus, Peter has denied Christ. He has, and then he said, I'm going fishing. Now, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Some commentators just think he was just doing his thing. Some think it, it was an expression of his, his confession of failure, his abandonment, whatever. But he finds himself basically back where he used to be doing what he used to do. And then Jesus is on the shore and he gives them instructions and they have another miraculous experience and Peter sheds his outer garment and doesn't wait for anybody else, swims ashore, comes to Christ. And here's how Jesus sets him back. Here's how he's gonna correct. So Peter's problems are like ours. Fear, anxiety, fear of failure, fear of rejection, shame, all of that stuff comparison, nobody else denied him, whatever, all these other things. And how does Jesus bring him back? How does Jesus correct him? He asks him three times, do you love me? He makes this subject about just Peter's eyes and his eyes. Do you love me? He never stops doing that at the end of John. Jesus made some comment about John and his life and it made it sound like, you know, John was gonna live forever or whatever else. And so Peter's following Jesus and he, sa he literally says to Jesus, what about him? What about him? And Jesus probably just less, just under, just less than irritated says, what does that matter to you? You follow me. If we could just take that template and place it over our lives. Jesus, what about everything? What does that matter to you? You follow me. Do you love me? And if you'll get that first, you'll get everything else right. The resurrected Christ Again, with John, resurrected Christ, appears to him on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation. And I always think of it as undercover boss, but there was nothing undercover about it. This is glorified, revealed, majestic, scare the death out of you, boss. And he comes and he speaks to John and he, and he, and he says, he gives them this revelation and he says, now I've got messages for the church. And he, he wants the church to know, hey, I'm, I, you're doing a, you're, I'm proud of you. You got this right. You're doing this. But here's the, now, but the boss has the first thing he's, the first correction the resurrected Lord has for the church is this. You have lost your first love. You have forsaken your first love. You have abandoned your first love. This is his first correction to the church. To love anything or anyone, including ourselves or our interests or our comforts, more than Christ is to reduce him as less than Lord. When we get the first one wrong, we make an idol of everything else. And the greatest idol we will always find in the mirror. 
It is our love for Christ, that unequaled, fervent love for the Lord Jesus that must be first. He simply says that, that, that without love for him being our first and greatest and highest motivation, that nothing else matters. The only response to love is love. No revival in history was ever initiated or characterized by strategy. In fact, I don't know really of anybody who, you know, it wasn't planned, it wasn't scheduled, it wasn't calendared. No revival in history began with a flyer <laughs> announcing it was going to happen. No strategy, no program, always it has been an awakening to love and a forsaking of all other loves but one. See, a loveless church can be busy. A, lovely, a loveless church can be tidy. A, lovely, a loveless church can be correct, but it will become dead. And if ever we needed to be overwhelmed and washed anew in the love of Christ, yeah. it's now. In this age that is characterized by apathy and animus, by enmity and by ego, oh, how we need the love of Christ. And Jesus will not accept anything less than a church who loves him first and most. And this is what we can and should do what we are empowered to do, even as we gather around the Lord's table today. We are reminded that in the atonement, God came near so that we could come near, and he loved us fully so that we might love him fully. Here again, these portions of scripture, listen to them with your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, or in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your your spiritual service of worship <clears throat> second corinthians 5:15 and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again we are not our own we are bought with a price and we love him back with all that he has redeemed. We draw near to the Lord's table to offer ourselves in loving devotion and obedience to the one who loved us first and most. Ushers, will you come? I worship you, almighty God. There is no
night that Jesus was betrayed, the Bible teaches us that he took bread and he broke it and he said of this bread, this is my body which is for you. And there is nothing that can compare to his body which is for us. And this wafer that we hold is a physical symbol of a spiritual reality of the, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we hold it in reverence and wonder and gratitude. And we will receive it in a moment with reverence, wonder, and gratitude. But as we hold this wafer, might we say that because of Christ's example and his expectation and his empowerment in our lives, that we might, according to the grace of God, say back to him, and Lord, here is my body, my person. Here's my body, which is for you. I glorify you with my body. I offer my whole person to you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Let me be, let you receive my life, my body, in love is a spiritual act of worship. Lord, even as you gave us yours, give us grace. With gratitude as receive again today, but Lord, give us grace to give ourselves in totality to you. Let's receive this together. After supper, he took the cup in like manner, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It will be poured out, poured out as a ransom for many. Drink ye all of it in remembrance of me. This cup will always be that cup. This cup will always only be the cup of blessing, the new covenant poured out for us. And we will receive it with wonder reverence, gratitude. But Lord, as we receive this cup today, let it remind us that you have called us, you have enabled us, and it is our great privilege that our lives would be poured out as a drink offering for you. Lord, even as we receive the one who loved us first and most, we offer ourselves, we pour out the entirety of our whole hearts unto you in devotion. Let's receive this cup together. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. 
bless the Lord, O oh, my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh, my soul. And oh, Bless the Lord. our service today. If you need to go, may the Lord bless you. Find your kids, pick them up, do your thing. But we're going to just continue to just offer the Lord worship and song for a few moments, especially we're going to just leave the front of the room open for those that want to find a place, kneel, stand, however. Let's just offer ourselves in worship to the one who loved us first and most. God bless you. You can certainly be dismissed. Merry Christmas. We'll see you this Wednesday. Let's worship the Lord.